Luke 28, 19 through 26. When the scribes and chief priests realized that he had told his parable against them, they wanted to lay hands on him at that very hour, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be honest in order to trap him by what he said, so as to hand him over to the jurisdiction and authority of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you are right in what you say and teach, and you showed deference to no one, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, is it snarky like last week? Show me a denarius whose head and whose title does not, does it bear? They said, the emperor's. He said to them, then give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to trap him by what he said. And being amazed by his answer, they became silent. Ooh. Hey, everybody. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I am the lead pastor here at Zao. It is awesome to be with you all this morning. We are um, still in our imposter series, where we're kind of debunking some of these ideas we've been given by our culture about who Jesus is, and debunking them by going straight to the scriptures to see what the gospels say about Jesus. And here we have a story that has been used a lot to mischaracterize Jesus. We see all over the place Jesus the patriot, this kind of Jesus paired with the God bless America idea. It's one of the reasons that we end up going and all over the place in this country, you can go into places of worship and see American flags up next to the cross. It's so weird to me to see those symbols of human empire next to the cross, that tool that was used by the empire to murder Jesus for opposing human empire. And yet we have twisted Jesus into this person who is somehow pro-empire, pro-nationalism, such a good patriot. And even if we're not doing that, even if we don't hear about that Jesus who is a, a fine, upstanding patriot, we hear another thing that this passage is often used to justify, which is the, a deep, uh, a particular interpretation of the idea of separation of church and state. So some people will take this passage and say, oh, Jesus said, pay your taxes. Be good, pay your taxes, God bless Rome. Well, that's just not accurate. And we are, <laughs> we are going to dig into why that's so deeply different than what Jesus was actually saying here. But a second interpretation that people often offer is, this is just Jesus advocating separation of church and state. Give to the emperor what's the emperor. Give to God's what is God's. This is a pattern we see. <clears throat> In people um, interpreting Jesus, it's a hyper-spiritualization. People like to take the political things that Jesus was saying and boil them down to, well, what does it mean theoretically? What does it mean spiritually? What does it mean to die to myself and to give away all my possessions? Kind of, but not actually have to do those things, right? Because Jesus' message is tough and it's challenging and a lot of times challenges people in power. And so people have worked their way backwards to say, well, it, it's a nice idea, and I can meditate on that idea and then go violate it with the rest of my life. 
And that's what we've done here, where we say, oh, Jesus is saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is is God's. You know, we got church over here, state over here, never the twain shall meet. But as with most of our strange interpretations of Jesus that build this imposter idea, that is completely out of context. Because in Jesus' day, there was no such thing as a separation between the political and the religious. In fact, the church was the government, and the government was the church. So in Jesus' community, his Jewish community, the authority of the temple priests were also the governing body. And so Jesus has no concept of separation of church and state. So what in the world could Jesus mean when he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God's? Well, Jesus is in the midst of this totally wild political run at this point in the story. He, if, you, if you stick around through Easter, we will spend a lot of time talking about the last week of Jesus' life, where he just has this like all out, he's been organizing in the countryside for a year or three years, depending on which gospel you want to um, build your timeline off of. And he's been in the countryside with the poor and with the peasants, He's been rallying folks. He's been preaching and building a crowd and telling people the truth, and they've been flocking to him. But these have all been on the outskirts, on the margins, which is where Jesus keeps his home. But Jesus, near the end, took the margins and marched into the center, into the center of power, the temple. And so in this last week of his life, he is confronting the temple authorities nonstop, there's this, uh, this phrase that appears at the beginning of this passage uh, where they, they talk about how they wanted, the authorities wanted to arrest him, but they feared the people. He's in there with this crowd. He's about to start a riot. And if you come next week, you might hear about the riot he actually did start in the temple, a little flipping the tables. But at this very moment, he's got a crowd of people around him and the people are with him. The authorities are scared. So the authorities in this, in this context are these Jewish religious authorities. So they're in the temple. Everyone is here to worship. This, the faithful Jewish people, the crowds and the authorities and Jesus are all there because it's an important moment, important religious moment as they're all remembering Passover. But Passover was also very political. And so we've got this high tension, <clears throat> high energy space. And the religious authorities are getting very, very nervous. So what do they come to him about? The text says they're trying to trap him. And so they ask him about a tax. Now this tax is not taxes quite as we would think of them, where we pay in and then theoretically we get schools back. This is a different kind of tax. This is more like a tribute. This is not taxes that go in and then build the community around them. This is the Roman Empire occupying the people, occupying the Jewish people and demanding tribute. It's more like a mob boss, right? So you pay somebody so that they don't hurt you. And actually this tax, this tribute, was one denarius, which is one day's wage once per year. Men aged 14 to 65 would have to pay it. Women aged 12 to 65 would have to pay it. And it was a big deal, but not because it was a huge financial burden. In fact, people were more or less okay and able to pay that when it was levied fairly, which it wasn't always. The tax collectors were always hearing about. 
They're the ones who were coming to collect that from everybody, and they often took three or four times what was really owed. But the real reason this was such a huge deal was because it was a symbol and a mechanism of the, of the empire that was occupying Israel and occupying the Jewish people. And it was not just political, but because everything political was religious in this day, it was religious. The Jewish law said that you don't pay tribute to anyone but God. And here was Caesar saying, pay tribute to me. Now there are going to be some themes that unfold about God and Caesar and Caesar's uh, self-concept of his own place in this world. But this tax represented something so deeply offensive, so deeply offensive that it violated God's law. And so when these folks are trying to trap Jesus, they say, do we pay our taxes or not? And they don't just say, do we pay it? They say, is it lawful to pay this tax? And what they're really asking is, whose law do we obey? Do we obey God's law or Rome's law? This was a really controversial issue among the people. Now, on the one side, there were the zealots who were like, forget Rome. They were the ones who were the most, I mean, the word zealot, it comes from zealots. They were the most, the most and the biggest and the most relentless. And they were like, this, this rule is illegal, it is immoral, it is sacrilegious, never pay your taxes to Rome. But the zealots were also getting killed left and right by Rome. Because Rome was kind of a hands-off empire a lot of the time. But when you started to mess with their taxes, that's when they'd swoop in. Then there were the tax collectors on the far other side who were colluding with Rome, who were benefiting, who were actually the ones to, to collect this tax. And in between, you had the religious authorities. Sometimes, if you come here, you'll hear us talk about Pharisees. These Pharisees were kind of in the middle. They tried to stay out of it. They were more focused on purity of the law in other ways. But the Sadducees, who get a little less airtime, they're so sad, you see. <laughs> my, my VBS veterans um, know my references. Um, but the Sadducees uh, were mostly put, they were, they were religious authorities as well. They were kind of aristocrats, religious, political combo aristocrats. And they had gotten their authority and their power from Rome. And they had had to collaborate with Rome much more directly than the Pharisees had. And so they were willing to collaborate. And so they interpreted the law and interpreted how to be faithful, and they conveniently found that it was actually most faithful to pay the taxes to Rome. And that benefited them, and they needed to do that in order to keep their power. And it was this last group of people that actually spent what Luke calls spies to entrap Jesus. So they're fully on board with the empire in terms of taxes. And so they're like, all right, Jesus has this crowd of people. He's not going to say, pay your taxes in front of them because they'll revolt because that's a violation of his message. But if he says in front of these people, don't pay your taxes, now we have Rome who's going to come in, swoop in, and kill him. Because these religious authorities already wanted Jesus gone. He was undermining uh, the temple authority. He was challenging the way that religious politics were negotiated among Jewish people. But Rome had been hands off. They didn't care. It was kind of an internal fight between Jewish authorities at that time. 
But if Jesus came out and said, don't pay your taxes, Rome would have come in and swooped in and killed him immediately. But he was trying to buy himself a couple more days because as I, as I mentioned earlier, this is the last week of his ministry. So he does, spoiler, he does get executed by the Romans. But he's trying... Again, come back for Easter though, it gets better. But he's trying to buy himself a little more time. He's trying to preach a little more truth before that happens. And so he's in this precarious position, this trap. So what does he do? He says, give me a Daenerys. Now, currency was a big deal. And whoever was in charge, whoever was occupying, whoever, whoever's army was really running things also got to manage currency. One of the commentators on this passage says, it was universally admitted that to have the right to issue currency carried with it the right to impose taxation. It's kind of like a, if you buy into our system, we own you. We own this. Actually, we own everything. And the way that they made that so crystal clear was that the money would be imprinted with the image of the emperor. And so, you know, we see the way that the Jewish people interacted with this because it was actually, again, against the law. Graven images were against the law. They were considered idolatrous. And so as soon as the Jewish people had any freedom from whatever empire they were suffering under at any given point in history, they would make their own currency. The Maccabean revolt was like a big one. When, when the Jewish people, the Maccabees, got out of, uh, out of under Syria's rule, the first thing they did was make their own currency. And so currency communicated a lot about who was in charge and who ultimately owned and controlled everything. So these coins, which bore images, which was blasphemous and against the Ten Commandments, it communicated this belongs to empire, and everything that it touches belongs to empire. What made it even worse is that these particular coins probably would have had inscribed, Son of the Divine Augustus. Holy sacrilegious, Batman, Caesar's claiming to be God. Caesar says that he's the son of God. Caesar also says that he's the savior of the people. Caesar is king. Caesar is the prince of peace. Any of these terms sound familiar? So there's another level that's happening here, and this is part of how Luke is telling this whole big story. Because we're in Luke chapter 20. We're near the end. We're at the big conflict we're approaching the cross and the resurrection and the glory of God. But way back in the beginning, when Jesus was an infant, when the angels foretold, when the prophets foretold his coming, what did they call him? Savior, Son of God, Lord, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. One commentator says, <clears throat> A simple reading of Luke 2, that's the beginning where we've got the proclamations about who Jesus is, reveals Luke using the following terms for Jesus, Savior and Lord. Alongside those are terms like gospel, good news, and peace. Now it so happens that empire critics call to our notice that these are the precise terms used by Caesar in Rome. 
The very terms broadcast throughout the empire on declarations and in letters and on countless inscriptions visible in all major cities in the empire. The implication of Luke 2 is that Luke is not just imparting spiritual goods about the Christian faith. Instead, his words are laced with criticism of Rome. To say Jesus was Lord and Savior, or to say Jesus was the one who brings peace and is good news at the same time, in a covert way, is to say Caesar was not Lord and not Savior, and that Caesar was neither good news, or, and that his peace, so-called, was shallow. The language of Luke 2, then, was coded for anyone with a good first-century ear. It is only our distance and comfort with modern empires that deafens us to the sounds. Jesus was clearly political and opposing Roman rule. When we say Jesus is Lord, we mean Caesar is not. When we say Jesus is king, it means the kings and the powers of this world are invalid, are imposters. Imposter Jesus holds up those imposter authorities. Real Jesus reminds us that it is all false, that the authority of God is so fundamentally different than the authority of empire, that empire has no place in the kingdom, the upside-down kingdom of God. And the Jewish authorities get this, and the Roman authorities are picking up on it fast. But right now, the Romans are still a bit in the dark, and he's trying to stay off the radar for a few days. So what does he do? We know where Jesus stands on this. The Sadducees know where Jesus stands on this. That's why they're trying to trap him. So what does he do? He says, give me a Daenerys. And they offer him one. And remember, because it's, a gra- it's got a graven image and the inscription, there's, there's kind of a a sly indictment in the first place, right? It's like, if you're so pure, if you're so pious, why are you carrying around a graven image with you that you can just hand it over to me? How bought in to the Roman Empire are you that you carry it with you, that when I ask you to hand it over, you're at the ready? But they do. Jesus says, whose head and whose title does it bear? And they said, the emperor's. He said to them, then give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. That image that means you're bought in, I own you, you owe me. Jesus says, fine, Sadducees. You want to be bought in on empire? You want your power and privilege? You want to be a part of Rome? You want to be marked by Rome? Well, then Rome owns you. And if not, you better divest yourself from that evil. As Justo Gonzalez puts it, if you're so pure, let the emperor have his idolatrous coins back. Pay your taxes. Give it all back. Stop investing yourself in empire. Stop running your lives and fueling your lives with the profit of empire. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's idolatrous and crude. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's got his ugly image on it. He owns it, he owns you. Give it back. But this exchange has two parts. Give to God what is God's. So again, how did we know that that coin belonged to the emperor? It bore his image. And who bears the image of God? 
You do. The Sadducees did. We do. So if we are to give to the emperor what is the emperor's and give to God what is God's, then we actually give back to God our whole selves and all of creation. And in fact, Roman ownership and God's ownership are mutually exclusive. God cannot be our true owner if we are belonging to someone else. Is that right? We have that elsewhere in the scriptures. We can't serve two masters. But neither can Rome own us when we belong to God. We have been given the image of God, and we are not to pay tribute to anyone else. And God and Rome operate pretty differently. Whereas Rome demands tribute and threatens violence, God invites our relationship, our worship, and offers back to us infinite love. There is a mutuality and a difference in that relationship with God because, again, the kingdom of God looks so fundamentally different. And while we are owned by the empire of Rome, we can't even see it. We can't even grasp it. So divest. Give it back. Don't let them own you. You belong to God. No Jewish listener would have mistaken Jesus' response as, a, as an endorsement of Rome or paying your taxes. Everybody would have heard in that space where Jesus stood very clearly. And in fact, a chapter later in Luke, one of the things that the religious authorities are saying to one another about why they've got to kill Jesus is that he opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. They understood. A faithful Jewish audience, it was clear as a bell. But Jesus is sneaky because Romans would have had no clue. Romans didn't understand about the image of God that all human beings bore. Romans didn't understand the intricacies of Jewish law. So to the empire, it does sound like an endorsement. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay your taxes. And so Jesus escaped that trap and lived to fight another day or three, to preach another day or three. But what does that say about our modern church? That we don't hear it like the faithful Jewish audience that says, we belong to God. We hear it like the Romans. Pay your taxes. What does that say about our modern church? Jesus is also calling an invitation to the Sadducees. You have been played. You have become stooges. You have colluded with Rome, but you don't have to. Give back what they've bribed you with. Join the side of God. It's where you belong. It's who you are. It's whose you are. And what does it mean to give our whole selves to God? Caesar hoards. Caesar demands. But God is infinitely generous. God offers God invites us to share back, and God gives it right back to us. God's economy is so, so different. So what do we need to divest ourselves from so that we are not owned by empire? What do we need to offer to God so that we remember who we are 
and the freedom we have in belonging not to any earthly power, but to the most high God whose image we bear. And because we too don't want to lose the spiritual to just the political, because the political is spiritual, the political is personal. In your spirit, who owns you? Whose lies have you bought into about who you are? Give them back. You bear the image of God who sees in you perfection, who draws you up from the earth and says, you are very good. Let us divest ourselves. Let us give back to the empire those tools of the empire and remind ourselves that we belong to the God who offers God's whole self back to us. Will you pray with me? God of the lowly, God of power and might, God of the coming kingdom, which is so beyond our imagination, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us your truth and your word. Allow us to see who we are in your sight and to shake off the robes of empire. Amen.